CRISPR. You may have heard about it in the news. It's arguably the biggest discovery of the 21st century and could possibly be a cure for some of the genetic disorders that have plagued humans throughout our history. It was initially identified in the early 1990s, and more recently, it was discovered to be the immune system used by bacteria to fight off viral infections. Until recently, there were no known mechanisms for inhibiting the infections caused by these bacteria infecting viruses. Dr. Joe Bondi Denemy is a leader in the CRISPR field and discovered anti-CRISPRs, the system used by viruses to hide out from the bacterial CRISPR system. We talk with him about his discoveries in the field and the ethics of gene editing in humans. This is Radio Bio. Don't know much biology. Hello and welcome to Radio Bio. I'm your host, Julia Alvarez. And I'm your co-host, Christy Donham. Today, we're chatting with Dr. Joe Bondi Denemy, an assistant professor at UCSF. Thanks for being with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So why don't you start by telling us a little about the research that you do? Sure. So in my lab, we're very interested in uh, bacteria that live in the natural world. This includes uh, bacteria that can infect us and make us sick, called pathogens, or uh, really any microbe living in various places on the planet. Um, we're keen to figure out how these bacteria survive and how they die. So we study uh, viruses that actually infect bacteria. So Julia, what is a host-pathogen interaction? Host-pathogen interactions is looking at the battle between infectious agents and how they interact with the host that they infect. Most researchers study how bacteria or viruses infect humans, but what Dr. Bondi Denemy studies is an even more zoomed-in view of that battle, the battle of the infectious agents that actually infect bacteria. So it's sort of a host pathogen interactions at a microbial level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is so, you know, when people say host pathogen, they think of humans as the host or a mammal or maybe a plant as a host, um, certainly a eukaryote. Um, yeah, in our world, the host is very different. In our world, the host is what a lot of people think of as the pathogen. Um, and that's true for us. I mean, we work on bacteria that are human pathogens. And so if you were to take it to the next level, you would have a human host, you would have a bacteria that's being a pathogen while inside of our bodies, but it's also being a host for its own pathogen, which is a bacteriophage. And this all happens in our bodies at once. There's lots of, of these viruses in our, in our bodies. So it's a, it's a, you know, at least tripartite human bacteria virus. There's probably more to it than we appreciate, but, um, there's a great quote about how there's, uh, um, each flea has a flea on them, and then each flea has another flea on them ad infinitum, and this goes on for infinity. And so there's a, so there's a pretty exciting way to think about the world of, of microbes and ecology and biology and that there's a constant battle and a constant hierarchy. We think we're on top of this food chain, but of course we're not because these bacteria can, can make us quite sick. And so it's amazing when something so tiny can make a bigger thing so sick. And that happens with these bacterial viruses. They're quite tiny but they can make bacteria very sick and in fact kill them. And so it's a, it's a, non-stop, uh, a non-stop world uh, when you think of biology at all levels. So you mentioned CRISPR. Yeah. Um, how would you explain what CRISPR is to someone who's never heard of it? Sure. Um, let's skip the acronym for a minute. I won't <laughs> define it because it doesn't help uh, that person very much. So let's just say CRISPR. Um, so it's an immune system. Uh, we have immune systems against viruses. Um, that are 
present in us at birth and we get vaccinated, hopefully, to uh, make those immune systems stronger. Uh, and this happens in bacteria too. They are essentially vaccinated in nature and the way they capture the vaccine, the way they, they record this information uh, is in their DNA. And it's in a region called CRISPR in the bacterial DNA. And so while we make antibodies that stop viruses, bacteria use CRISPR to stop viruses. And that's you know the connection then to, to my work and what we do in my lab is that this CRISPR immune system uh, stops these viruses from infecting. And that's exactly what we're very interested in, in understanding how, how viruses and bacteria battle each other. So uh, at its very simplest level, um, CRISPR is an immune system that uh, sort of captures the memories of past viruses and uses them in the future, much like uh, we use our memory of the, the measles vaccine we got when we were a baby. So what are some of the novel or more creative ways that you might be using CRISPR for or that people are using CRISPR for in research? So uh, CRISPR as a tool uh, has certainly exploded. Um, the way we view CRISPR is, of course, as a natural immune system. And so there's a lot of labs that work on CRISPR or that might uh, write a paper that involves or has the word CRISPR in it. Um, probably 90% or more of those labs are, are using the tool of CRISPR. And there's a very small number of labs that study what I would call as CRISPR biology, how it, how it works in the real world. So um, from, from my lab's perspective, we're interested in how the viruses stop CRISPR from working because that's what they need to do. If you're a virus infecting a bacteria and you're not equipped to deal with CRISPR, CRISPR will probably destroy you. So that's how we view it. We view it through the lens of these viruses and we wanna know how they do what they want to do, which is replicate. Um, your question though about where, where CRISPR fits into the, into the world of, uh, in, in the labs of many people around the world. And, and there, you know, people have harnessed the fact that CRISPR is programmed and it's by bacteria to cut the DNA of a virus. And people in the lab can also program CRISPR to cut whatever it is they want to cut. And this was the first time um, in the history of, of sort of, of molecular biology that researchers had the ability to program a DNA cutting enzyme to cut wherever they wanted with ease. So I know at UCSF, for example, I know there are rotation students who in their few weeks in the lab could do a screen that could knock out every single gene in the human genome, remove each gene one by one from millions of cells in a single dish, and then ask what happens to those cells when they add a, a cancer drug or, or a, a bacterial toxin. So that's the scale we're talking about. We've gone from, in a very short time, from discovering this new CRISPR immune system to programming it in the lab the way bacteria program it in the real world. A researcher in China in 2018 gained a lot of media attention for using CRISPR to create genetically modified humans. Before this, CRISPR had never been used in humans, and the general consensus among scientists was that it should not be used on humans without consent. The reason this is such a large issue is because it's an issue of ethics. If used as a therapeutic, a patient can make an informed decision knowing the possible side effects of a new gene editing technology. So, you know, this, this got a lot of news. Um, we don't work at all on uh, gene editing in human cells or in mice or anything. This is, a, this is a huge area, one that, you know, we avoid because we're, our interests, like I said, are really in, in the bacterial side. Um, I think there was a, there was a report or, or a paper out in Nature this week from uh, co senior author is Francis Collins, the director of the NIH, calling for a moratorium on exactly this uh, germline uh, germ editing of, of DNA. 
Germline editing is editing of reproductive cells, which in turn affects your offspring's DNA. Um, basically preventing the generation of, of CRISPR babies, as they're called, where, where instead of just editing, you know, an adult uh, cell or a cell in an existing human, of uh, changing the DNA of, of, a, of an embryo, um, I, I, would, I would side with uh, Francis Collins on this one, that it's probably a good idea to, to slow the pace a little bit of, of applying these, these things in humans. Um, but this is always the way it works. It's always true that the science goes faster than policy can because policy has to react um, and it can, it can almost never preempt the science because why even have a policy discussion if the science isn't there? This happened in the 70s around recombinant DNA and using restriction enzymes and that was a big concern. So this isn't um, surprising or remarkable that there's a new discovery. There's some people who are going faster than the consensus uh, would like and the scientific community um, wants to make sure this is done responsibly, otherwise a, a very powerful technology could be sidelined because of fears of it being used in the wrong way. So um, I think the experiments that this, uh, this, this uh, scientist, physician in China did, a young ambitious guy who seems to wanted to make a big splash, he made that big splash, uh, seems to have done it in an unethical way without a lot of informed consent, and, and I just know what I've seen in the popular media. So. I would say that I, I side uh, against that kind of work, uh, although it's not an area that we actually are, are actively involved in ourselves. So touching on that, yeah. what are some misconceptions that the public might have about CRISPR and gene editing that you would you wish was understood better? Um, yeah, that's an important question. I, I, I think it would be great for everyone in the public to understand how uh, CRISPR works how it's already transformed research and that there is in no way should, if anything comes of the public's opinion of CRISPR, it should be divided into two um, categories or two applications. We can talk about medicine and therapy and how we might treat disease or prevent disease in one, in one hand. The other hand that needs to be emphasized to the public that they need to know right now is that CRISPR in a very short time, going back years, has changed the way almost every researcher in the world studies biology and will, and will enable labs to discover cures for diseases like cancer and for, for um, neurodegenerative disease and the things that people really care about. CRISPR doesn't have to be the therapy. It can be the mechanism by which researchers accelerate their work and get discoveries quickly. So that needs to be protected with all of our might that academic institutions can use CRISPR as a discovery tool. As, as a therapy, I think the important thing for people to understand is that most therapeutic discussions and most funding, even in the biotech world where CRISPR is being pursued by a lot of companies, that's focused on what's called somatic gene editing. So that would be saying, you're an existing person, you have uh, an ocular problem, we know the gene that's gonna you know, lead to blindness in 10 years and we're gonna fix that gene in your eye. And you get to say, yes, I understand the process. Yes, I consent to this procedure. It may be experimental, it may be a clinical trial but I understand what we're doing. That's where most companies are focused or they're gonna take some of your blood and you've got a bad uh, blood disease like sickle cell anemia and they're gonna edit some of those cells and they're gonna give them back to you and you're not actually going to be exposed to CRISPR in your body. 
these are the sorts of things that companies are working on. The reason is because it's the low-hanging fruit. It's the easiest place. It's the eye and the blood and the liver. These are easy place, easiest of, of the grand scheme of things to edit. And that's somatic cell editing. We're not changing anybody's babies. We're not changing any sperm or egg. We're not changing any embryos. And I say we as, as a field, you know, we don't actually do this in my lab. Um, <laughs> But that's where the, I think the public should start, is that that is the goal for most researchers. And that's why this work out of China really can put a, 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 a make, scare a lot of people. And they might think, wow, everybody in the world is using CRISPR is making CRISPR babies. And that's not true. Not only is that very hard to do, not only does it require a lot of technology and money, um, that's not the goal of, of the companies that are raising millions of dollars to use CRISPR. It's about somatic editing. It's about cancer. It's about blindness. It's about blood diseases. That's where we're going to start, and that's hopefully where the first successes will emerge, and then people will start to see what's go what's going on. They may even know somebody who you know where where CRISPR was used to fix a, a problem that they had that they understood and consented to the technology. I think the biggest problem with the CRISPR baby thing beyond a lot of the ethical debates is is consent. That's always discussed. You know, you can't uh, get consent for the embryo. So uh, that's a whole other issue that needs to be discussed. But I think what I would love for people to know is that as a research tool, it's changed the world. And very soon, I'm sure many treatments, even traditional drugs, will start to emerge because of the technology of CRISPR. And that most medical applications of CRISPR that are being envisioned are being envisioned on people who are born who can say yes or no to that treatment. And I think that's really important. A lot of Dr. Bondi Denemy's work has been focused on the discovery of novel proteins that are used by viruses to essentially inhibit the bacterial CRISPR system. If you think of CRISPR as the bacterial immune system, these viruses are able to subvert the host immune system to cause infection. Dr. Bondi Denemy discusses this finding further. So you said they they stop by distracting the cast. How does could you explain yeah. that a little? So so I, I like the analogy of a decoy or a mimic or a distraction because I, I think if you if you picture a bacteria cell and you can think of it as sort of a, a little sack of enzymes and DNA, and you picture the the bacterial virus that's injecting its DNA into the cell and, and and for for the picture in your mind the bacterial virus looks a little bit like the thing that landed on the moon. It's like a lunar landing <laughs> module with uh, tail fibers and a tail and the DNA slides through the tail and into the bacterial cell. And and if you think about it, CRISPR is sort of like a, the the shark in that water. It's waiting with its mouth open for for the bacterial DNA and it's going to chop it off really quickly. And so what these anti-CRISPRs do, at least how we understand them right now, is that they, the bacterial virus starts making the anti-CRISPR proteins as quickly as it can. And what these anti-CRISPR proteins do is sometimes they look a little bit like the bacterial virus DNA itself. And so this is the most common mechanism we've, we've figured out so far is it's called a DNA mimic mechanism, where the protein that's made by the bacterial virus looks just like the bacterial virus's DNA. And CRISPR says, oh, look, the DNA is here and it grabs onto the wrong thing. And, it, and that protein, that anti-CRISPR protein just doesn't let go. And so now that CRISPR-Cas protein, let's say Cas9, that was the, the shark that was going to cut the bacterial virus DNA, now it's locked in an off position because the virus produced a small protein that kind of looked enough like DNA to trick Cas9 into grabbing onto it. And, and so that's how one of the mechanisms by which these anti-CRISPR proteins work is like a, like a decoy or a distraction um, to, to stop CRISPR. And then invasion commences. 
And then that's right. Then the bacterial virus has sort of removed CRISPR from the equation. It can do whatever it is it wants to do, uh, which is probably to replicate, make more babies, more virus babies that are then going to burst open that cell and those, those progeny viruses will go on and, and repeat. That's amazing. Yeah. Terrifying, but yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that about wraps it up. Thank you so much for being here with us. Great, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's undeniable that CRISPR has revolutionized the pace of biological research and has enabled large-scale studies to interrogate a wide variety of questions. It has advanced discoveries, particularly in the field of human health, and it is the future of medicine. Future applications could be the key to curing genetic disorders like sickle cell anemia and cystic fibrosis. As mentioned, the pace of science far exceeds that of policy. And it is the job of scientists to not only use this tool ethically, but to communicate effectively about its implications. This podcast was hosted by Christy Donham and Julia Alvarez, produced by Craig Ennis with assistance from CRISPR-Cat9, edited by Julia Alvarez, and artwork was created by On Deep. Radio Bio is produced by graduate students at the University of California, Merced. Support for RadioBio comes from the Quantitative and Systems Biology Graduate Group, the School of Natural Sciences, and the Graduate Division at UC Merced. You can help support RadioBio's mission of increasing scientific literacy in California's Central Valley and beyond by donating at giving.ucmerced.edu slash RadioBio. Find out more about our mission, events, and podcasts at www.radiobio.net.